0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. I'm your host, Tavid Nasir, CEO of Tavid Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers both keynotes and corporate training events on a variety of leadership topics that we provide both in person and online. To learn more about our services, visit our company's website at TavidNasir.com. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Paul Smith.
1: Just learning how to tell stories won't help you if you don't have an inventory of stories to tell. So you need to go on story hunts, and you, you need to you know, start with a wish list. Here are the ten stories I'd like to have. You know, and 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 begin to fill the those needs in your story uh, repertoire. And then when you've got those filled, go go find ten more, so that you have lots and lots of leadership stories ready to tell at a moment's notice. Because you never know when you're going to need.
0: There's been a growing interest around the use of storytelling and leadership over the last few years. In fact, I've talked about storytelling and leadership here on this show in past episodes and how leaders can utilize this communication tool to increase engagement and productivity amongst their employees. However, just as we see in TV shows and movies, When it comes to storytelling and leadership, it's important for us to recognize that there's many different types of stories leaders should have in their leadership toolkit to help inspire, motivate, inform, and provide guidance and direction to those under their care. And to help us better understand what those different types of stories are is this episode's guest, Paul Smith. Paul is one of the world's leading experts in business storytelling. In fact, Paul has personally interviewed over 250 CEOs, executives, leaders, and salespeople in 25 countries, documenting over 2,000 individual stories through which he's identified the components of effective storytelling. His work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Time, Forbes, Fast Company, and the Washington Post. And he's the author of four books, including The Ten Stories Great Leaders Tell, which is what Paul and I will be discussing. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm happy to be here. So, Paul, I have
0: to tell you, I was very intrigued by the premise of your book, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to my listeners, as I've not only used storytelling in some of my episodes to help illustrate an idea or insight, but in episode 46 of my show, I shared three keys to effective storytelling – and for those interested, I'll be sure to include links to those past episodes in the show notes. But in the title of your book, you point out how there are in fact 10 stories that every leader should be ready to use and tell if they want to be successful. So, before we explore a few of them, perhaps a great place to start here would be if you could share a brief overview of what these 10 different stories are, Paul.
1: Yeah, sure. And and I'm I'm certainly not claiming these are the only Ten stories. In fact, uh, I, I hope I make some a point somewhere in there that, in fact, it's just the opposite. You need a lot more stories than these. And in, in my previous books, I think I'd covered you know h- hundreds of different types of stories. Um, th- my my goal here was an attempt for people who are just getting started in the storytelling space or wanting to use storytelling. Uh, you know, where should I start? What, what are the most important? Ten stories for any leader to tell so certainly not the only but uh, I, I think these are this is probably a good list of the most important ones um, So yeah, so for the ten the the first four go together because they're about setting direction for the organization So here those are uh, where we came from. So that's our founding story Why we can't stay there. So that's a case for change story where we're going, which is a vision story and how we're going to get there, which is a strategy story, because a strategy is about how you're going to get from where you are now to where you want to be. So if you can tell those four stories well, I think you've got a much better chance of getting the organization to go where you want them to go. Okay, so the, the next four go together as well, but they're more about who we are as an organization. So that's what we believe. It's a corporate value story. Who we serve, so that's a customer story, a story about the customer so that everyone at the organization can have a personal, visceral understanding of of who you're working for. Uh, What we do for our customers, so that's a classical sales story or customer success story. And then number eight is how we're different from our competitors. So I call that a marketing story because marketing is generally about differentiating yourself from your competitors and then the, that leaves two more uh, and they kind of go together as well but they're more personal to you the leader so that's why i lead the way i do so that's a personal leadership philosophy story and why you should want to work here so like not, not you but whoever you're talking to right so uh, I, I call that a recruiting story so you, you'll notice a, a number of different kind of functional type stories in here but th- these are definitely not just stories for those functional leaders i think every leader Uh, regardless of function, needs to be able to tell this at least this set of 10 stories.
0: Now, Paul, what I'd like to do is explore a few of these types of stories that you just described. Of course, some of them I've already explored in past episodes. For example, episode 31, which was the first edition of Leadership Espresso Shot, explored this idea of using stories to communicate a larger vision. So what I'd like to do with you today is discuss some of these types of stories that many of us probably haven't even thought about in terms of how we lead. And the first one is the story type you call Why I Lead the Way I Do, which is essentially using a story that helps illustrate our leadership philosophy or approach or style. Now, unlike a story we create to help us explain a change initiative or an ambitious vision or long-term plan, this one might not seem as apparent in terms of both when we'd need it, or even how we'd use it. So, when in our work week, Paul, does this kind of story come into play, and how does it help us improve the way we lead?
1: Yeah, great question. So, this story would be used, or not uh, this type of story, I should say, because I think most leaders need more than one leadership philosophy story. You need at least one, uh, but probably several. And the, the most frequent uh, or commonplace you would use this, and time you'd use this, is when you're onboarding a new direct report, or whether. So that's whether. You've got a new employee working for you, and you just need to introduce them to your leadership philosophy and your leadership style. Or you are new. You've taken a new job, and then everybody who works for you, of course, is new to you. Uh, And those are the situations where you need to set expectations of the organization or the, the people of what kind of leadership to expect from you and also what kind of leadership you expect from them. And the way I've seen most people do this in the past, which is really frustrating, is they they have this list, you know, that they, they lay on you as if it's some you know profound uh, you know list uh, that says something like my leadership philosophy, and it's got a bunch of buzzwords on it and you know a bunch of bullet points, and you know it's the kind of thing that most of us could probably say about ourselves or anybody else. I I, I prefer to focus on value-added uh, uh, leadership exercises, and I prefer to you know, be disciplined in my approach and, you know, whatever. But it's just, it's the kind of thing that anybody could say about themselves. These stories are going to be very unique though. They're, they're basically going to be examples of times in your career where you've either made a leadership mistake or, or made a great leadership decision or exhibited great leadership uh, behavior uh, or saw someone else exhibit great leadership behavior or a leadership mistake that just changed your thinking about what great leadership is and made you the leader that you are today so th- those type of stories are far more meaningful to people in helping set expectations of what kind of leadership to expect from you and and to give them a concrete idea of what that might look like
0: it's interesting how as you were just describing one paul particularly about how it's clarifying our expectations both in terms of what we expect from others and what our employees should expect from us as it got me thinking about some of the stories I've shared of past leaders I've worked with and how, in many ways, these stories were a perfect vehicle to illustrate their leadership style or philosophy, that in sharing this story about how these leaders operated, it was as much a teachable lesson on leadership as it was a glimpse into how they viewed leadership and what made them so good about it.
1: Yeah, I think so. So you're you're not only telling them what to expect from you, you're teaching them a leadership lesson. Uh, Presumably, you've The the story you would choose to share would be an example that would teach somebody a good leadership style, right? So uh, yeah, it helps them learn how to be a better leader as well.
0: So Paul, the next story I'd love to talk with you is about the story you call What We Believe. And this is the story that allows us to articulate what our organization's values are. I found this one particularly interesting as there's a lot of interest and focus being put on these days about an organization's culture. And obviously what helps define and give life to that culture is the values leaders demonstrate and employees exhibit in their everyday work. Now, the idea of values obviously always gets dinged because it often tends to be this exercise of defining likable or even aspirational traits of how we want others to see us. So how does creating a story around an organization's values avoid this trap of creating this artificial notion of what defines or guides our team's actions and behaviors and really instead becomes something that evokes and reinforces what we want to see and be seen for.
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, uh, let me know if you would like and if we have time to share examples of these stories because I think it's, it's much more clear to people uh, than just talking theoretically about them as if we can give an example of, of each of them.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. If you can give some examples, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, do you want to go back then to the the leadership philosophy story and, and cap that off with an example and then move on to the corporate value story?
0: Sure. Hey, if you got a story for the first one, I'd love to hear it. Isn't that perfectly exemplifying what we're talking about too, right?
1: Right, yeah, it, it, I think it gets frustrating to folks to talk a lot about storytelling without actually doing any storytelling. So yes, so the the example there I would give you is from the book, to a guy named uh, Mike Figliolo who was, um, uh, his first leadership experience was in the US Army, so he's a West Point graduate. And so, uh, in fact, his first real leadership test was in a training exercise out in California, I think it was Camp Pendleton. Um, anyway, he was a, a tank platoon leader, and they were going into an exercise where there's going to be 400 tanks on one side of this 10 mile long, five mile wide, you know, training field and 400 tanks on the other side. And they're going to go into a simulated battle together. And I say simulated because, you know, they're not going to shoot live ordnances at each other. But um, I think they were like shooting lasers, basically. So essentially it was a giant game of laser tag, but with real tanks. OK, so. Um, and he happened to be assigned to be the leader in the first tank on his side of the field. So literally, they're going to be 399 tanks lined up behind him going into battle, uh, training battle on on one side of the field. So, of course, the night before, he sits down with a commanding officer, and they look at a map of the terrain, and they come come up with a battle strategy to figure out how to get to the high ground and, you know, win the exercise. And next morning, the exercise starts, and he's in the tank, and they're racing out onto the field. And he gets to the first place where he's got to make a decision about which way to turn and he just he just doesn't know what to do. I mean you know, apparently, looking at you know a battlefield through the crack in the hatch of a tank that's bouncing up and down at forty miles an hour just looks a little different than it does on a map in a conference room. So he was just confused and so he had a choice to make. He could either stop the tank, turn the light on, get the map out, and figure out the right thing to do, which might take, I don't know thirty seconds or he could just guess well mike chose option two he just yells out driver turn left so the driver turns left well a minute or two later the light in his tank turns on which means you just got shot by a laser you're dead (laughs) right so they have to stop the tank pop the hatch get out those guys are done for the day well of course you know 30 seconds later the tank number two right behind him they turn left their light turns on they're done for the day a few seconds later tank number three turns left right behind them and their light turns on which means they got shot but Tank number four, the, the, the guys in tank number four saw three tanks turn left and get virtually shot and killed. They realized that was a mistake. So tank number four turned right. And then 396 other tanks turned right. They took the high ground and won the exercise. So Mike made a leadership mistake that day, right? He, he turned left when he should have turned right. But what he learned from it was that sometimes it's better to make the wrong decision quickly then make the right decision slowly. Because imagine what would have happened if he had stopped the tank and turned the light on and got the map out. There literally would have been 400 tanks stopped in a line, sitting ducks, getting shot at by the, the enemy, right? And, and war as is similar as it is in business and in, in life in that you know, when you make a mistake, oftentimes life will, will let you know pretty quickly, right? Things will start going badly and you'll realize that was a mistake and you can monitor and adjust, which is exactly what happened on that battlefield that day. The, you know, one of the, the tank number four realized that was a mistake and they turned right. So, uh, and it, it's helpful. Uh, he tells that story now to new people who start to work with him. And the reason of course is to let them know that he's a very decisive leader. He's not going to get stuck in months and months of analysis paralysis that, that typically, um, hinders most businesses from moving forward uh, because your competition is not going to stop and wait for you to make a decision, right? Um, but that story is much better than him telling people when he meets them, well, I'm, I'm a decisive leader. <laughs> well, what does that mean and ha- how decisive and, and why are you? And, uh, but it also gives them an idea that he's probably going to be forgiving of people if they make mistakes as long as they learn from their mistakes. So, that that story is hit one of his personal leadership philosophy stories because it illustrates how he became the decisive leader that he is today, and it helps them make similar decisions. Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense. And so now you've piqued my curiosity, and I'm sure that of our listeners, as to, okay, but how do I do that now in the context of my organization's values?
1: Yeah, well, well, yeah. So that's the next next type of story. So the, the why I lead the way I do stories are stories about you personally and your leadership. So yeah. So your next question is about the what we believe stories, the corporate value stories. Um, so those, th- those probably won't be stories about you personally, which I think gets out of the problem that you were asking me about is how do you keep these stories from sounding – I can't remember how you put it – from sounding um, – you know, self-aggrandizing or or or, or fake. Um, I think you use different words to describe it. But the way you do that is: these are not going to be stories about you. These are going to be stories about somebody else and something that happened to someone at your company, uh, and how they dealt with it and the consequences of their behavior. So these are typically one of two types of stories. They're either a story where somebody exhibited the type of behavior that your company wants your values that represents the values you want. So it's a good story, a positive story, or it's the opposite. It's a story where somebody did something just terrible (laughs) and and they suffer the consequences like they got fired or they got demoted or, you know, whatever. uh, So that you, so that your employees can see the, the values of the company being played out in a real situation, whether it's for the better or the worse, and they see that you know, good things happen to people who do it right and bad things happen to people who don't. And the reason you need stories like this are because you know company value statements are simply, typically just listed on a sheet of paper that's in a file drawer somewhere that you'll never see. And uh, people don't even know what they are half the time but you tell a story about somebody who exhibited those values or the opposite, and they really understand you know, what it really means to have that value. So the, the example here I'd give you is um, uh, Sam Walton, so you know founder of Walmart. Um, so imagine you're a new hire at Walmart and they give you a list of company values and you read them and put them in a file drawer, like I said, never see them again. Well, imagine instead if they simply told you a story about the founder of the company, how um, back in the mid-1980s, um, in Texas, the largest retailer was H.E. Um, H-E-Butt H-E-B, uh, grocery store chain. Um, they were the largest retailer for 30 or 40 years in Texas until the mid-1980s when Walmart uh, was growing so rapidly and overtook them and became the number one retailer in Texas. Well, about that time, the CEO of H-E-B, his name was Charles Butt. He was the grandson of the founder called Sam Walton on the phone and, and apparently said the following two things. First of all, congratulations. You're now the biggest retailer in Texas and my company's business has been for you know, decades. Secondly, um, I'd love to know how you, how you did it. I'd like to bring my leadership team to your offices just on a learning mission and learn what you're doing so well. Now, if you can imagine Sam Walton would have been well within his rights to tell the guy to just shove off, right? I mean, you're, you're our competitor. I'm not teaching you nothing, right? Um, but he didn't. Apparently what he said was, well, look, uh, I don't know if I can help you, but I'd be happy to try. So they made an appointment for for uh, HEB's leadership team to fly to Arkansas and meet him at a local Walmart store. So they get there on that day at that time. They start walking through the store looking for, you know, Sam Walton, billionaire, you know, and they f- see him at the end of one of these aisles. So they start marching up the aisle towards him, and he hold- Sam Walton holds his hand up and says, uh, Charles, uh, hold on there a minute. I'll, I'll be with you in a few minutes. Uh, I'm just, let me finish this conversation with this young woman. It was, you know, a shopper in his store and she was trying to figure out which ironing board cover to buy. So he was literally talking her through all the different brands and the different color patterns and the prices and the quality. And anyway, she eventually figured out what one she wanted and put it in her buggy and shoved off to the register. And Sam Walton turns to Charles and says, Charles, do you know how many worn out ironing board covers are on this country? We're going to sell a million of them this month. Now, what can I teach you about retail? And, and just imagine that you're a Walmart employee and you've heard this story. Now, I'll just ask you this, this question. If you were a Walmart employee, what lessons about company values do you think you would learn from hearing that story?
0: Yeah, clearly Walmart's saying that we put customers first. We want to put our focus on them. On addressing their needs before we focus on the business needs, because obviously if you take care of the customer, customer will take care of your business.
1: Right. So customer is number one, right? I mean, that, you see that play out so clearly. I mean, the CEO, the CEO and founder of the company made the other CEO and leaders wait while he took care of one customer right? But, but there's, there's probably several others. Like if you, if you think through that story, you realize that he had a passion for winning. You realize that, uh, here, this, you know, CEO of the company, but he knew enough about the details to help a shopper with one item that, you know, out of the thousands in his store. So, you know, attention to detail, you might learn that, but you, you probably come up with a list of seven or eight, uh, lessons about company values just from that one story. So those are the type of stories that make great customer or or corporate value stories because they illustrate values as opposed to just tell you what they are because values are only words on a piece of paper until they're tested in the real world in a messy situation uh, like that. So that's why those are more important than the list of of values is the stories about these values.
0: I'm glad you shared these stories, Paul, because it really does help illustrate here why using storytelling in our leadership is so powerful because it really does evoke this idea of show don't tell and I especially like how while leaders do reinforce what are the real values of an organization are as in that story you just shared of Walt through the use of storytelling though we actually can reinforce those values by focusing on the impact our actions our decisions our choices have on those we've chosen to serve whether that's our employees or in the case of story you just shared on our customers now of course, One of the reasons an organization talks about its values is because it's often used to help differentiate them from their competitors, of how prospective customers can feel good buying their products or services because of what we stand for or believe in. But there's another reason why an organization's values are becoming increasingly important, and that is in terms of attracting and retaining employees, an issue that's growing in importance as most Western countries face aging populations and shrinking workforces. And that's why I'd like to discuss the next story of why you should want to work here. Although in past decades we've seen the fluctuation from an employer's job market to an employee's job market and back, there's never really been an urgency like we're seeing growing each year of having to not only attract, but fight to retain knowledgeable and adaptive skilled workers to help your organization to succeed and grow. So this idea of creating a story to help us attract employees, as well as reminding our existing employees about what's great about working for our organization, is certainly not something most of us would be familiar with or would know how to create. So how do we go about creating this kind of story, Paul? What are the key elements we should be using to shape this kind of narrative?
1: Yeah. So what you're looking for here is um, one of two or three different types of of stories. You're you're looking for a story about somebody that works where you work and the story about why they decided to join your company, right? What made them leave the job they had before and come to work for you? Because whatever attracted them will probably attract other people. Um, The other type you kind of hit on there yourself, uh, which is um, a story to help people who are working there today stay and 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 be happy and not leave so you want stories about people who thought about quitting their job and leaving but decided not to and decided to stay anyway so you want stories like that as well Um, and and the the reason these are important of course is because most companies recruiting brochures kind of say the same thing right they all say well we we offer competitive pay and benefits uh, challenging work, opportunities for advancement, uh, opportunity to work with other you know, great people. I mean, literally everybody says the same thing about their company, right? So the stories, though, allow you to be unique uh, and offer some real insight into why people uh, want to work at your company.
0: I guess the next question I have, Paul, is while it's easy to know when to use such a story for attracting employees to come work for us, like, as you said, instead of just creating a brochure talking about your benefits and maybe some of the perks, it's not so clear when we should use such a story for our current employees. Obviously you don't want to do this when they've handed you their two week notice. So you're like, oh, you're desperate now to try to keep them, right? It's a little too late at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too late now. <laughs> yeah. So when should we be thinking of when we should have these stories at hand to reinforce our employees' commitment to our team or our organization?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, I give you a couple of answers. One would be obviously if you notice that retention is uh, uh, declining, right? Just if you, as you look across the organization, if your retention rates are going down, that's an indication that you ought to be telling these stories more frequently uh, unsolicited just to improve your retention rates in the organization. Um, The the other situation, you know, obviously might be when you have somebody come to you and say, look, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm thinking about leaving or I'm, I'm thinking about my long term and I'm not sure this company is part of it. You know, th- that would trigger a conversation that would have these kind of stories uh, in them. Uh, but you, the first way, like, like I said, is you're sharing them more proactively as opposed to reactively. You can share them in front of large audiences. Like I, I know companies that tell this type of story uh, at, you know, staff meetings, at, you know, all, all hands meetings at companies. Um, and sometimes it's just a little bit of, of cheerleading about, you know, somebody who had a great experience working here uh, so that everybody else can, can share in that joy and maybe, you know, do something similar themselves so they can have the same experience. Um, yeah, you you, you don't want to only do it in reactive mode.
0: Yeah, I'm also thinking how if you think about a lot of times the quandary we hear about meetings today, right? They're still necessary for us to be able to kind of brainstorm and collaborate and tap into the creative mindset of everyone we have around the table. At the same time, there's that struggle of people often feeling like, why am I in this meeting? I'm expected to be here, but I don't know what exactly I'm contributing. And so there's a lot of focus on how do we make meetings more efficient. And when I was reading about this kind of a story, it made me think about how as much as we like to give updates, this could also be a great opportunity that if you have some recent success story, not a great one that you want to share at your quarterly meetings and so forth. But just a short story of, hey, this was a wonderful story, a wonderful moment we had, either from an employee or either from one of your customers, that could be a great opportunity or a great moment to share it at the end of a meeting just to remind everyone. Maybe we're going through some tough times right now. Maybe we're going through the boring part of a change initiative, what have you. That could be a great moment just to remind people and give them that compass orientation that, hey, look, this is the kind of impact we're having right now. And imagine what kind of impact we'll have going down as we continue through this process or addressing to find a solution to this current problem. Or maybe as we move forward this change initiative, that maybe that could be a great moment to share this kind of story, as you said, so that we're not just being reactive, but as much as we're being proactive in trying to attract employees, this could be a great way for us to retain them by just giving them that touch point to remind them of the kind of good work they're doing here.
1: Yeah, and in fact, some of my my more creative clients assign somebody at each you know weekly staff meeting to share a story, and and they know ahead of time like it's on the calendar like this week is my week and next week is your week and then it's Sally and you know so you know. Uh, you know, three weeks from now, you're supposed to bring a story that would be of interest to everybody in the room. So, you know, every one hour staff meeting every week, there's going to be one person that spends three or four minutes telling an interesting story that other people can learn from. And so by the end of the year, you got 52 great stories that everybody on that team now has at their disposal to use with their organization. So it's a great, that's a great way to build your uh, repertoire of stories. Mm, I like that. It's a good
0: idea. So, Paul, we've covered just a few of the TED stories leaders should have as part of their communication toolkit. And I'm sure just based on the ones we've discussed, our listeners certainly have a lot to consider and contemplate. So before we wrap things up here, what idea or message do you want our listeners to keep at the forefront of their minds when they think about storytelling and leadership?
1: Yeah, well, I guess two things. One is think of storytelling like you would just about any other business skill. Uh, in that it's something that you can and probably should learn, uh, and I say that because a lot of people just think, well, storytelling—you're either born good at it or you'll never be good at it—and you know, it's—but uh, that's just not true. You know, storytelling is an art for sure, but you know, so is uh, music and uh, painting. And you know, if if you wanted to learn to play the guitar, you wouldn't just buy a guitar and put it by your bed and hope that you know by osmosis you learned how to do it, right? You'd you'd take guitar lessons, right? You you watch some videos, you'd take a class, you'd hire a tutor. You, you know, uh, Storytelling is the same way. You, you should think of it as a business skill that you should develop in the same way you develop any other skill. Go learn from somebody who knows how. Um, but the, the other thing is uh, you probably need to be building a repertoire of stories. So just learning how to tell stories won't help you if you don't have an inventory of stories to tell. So you need to go on story hunts, and you, you need to you know, start with a wish list. Here are the 10 stories I'd like to have, you know, and, and, and begin to fill the, those needs in your story uh, repertoire. And then when you've got those filled, go, go find 10 more so that you have lots and lots of leadership stories ready to tell at a moment's notice, because you never know when you're going to need one.
0: That's an astute observation, Paul. And I think there could be little doubt, not only about the power of storytelling as an effective communication tool. But as you've pointed out, how there really are these different types of stories that leaders should be telling in various situations and in different groups, not only so people can better understand what they're trying to achieve, but more importantly, why others should care as to invest something of themselves in being part of their journey. So thanks for coming on my podcast, Paul, to help us further explore the art of storytelling in leadership.
1: You're welcome. It uh, It was nice to be here. I enjoyed it. Some practical advice and explanations
0: on the different types of stories leaders should have at hand to help them improve their ability to communicate, guide, and inspire those they lead in terms of what they should be focusing on and what success will look like. If you'd like to learn more about Paul's book and to get links to those past episodes of this show that I mentioned during our conversation, check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a favor in sharing this or other episodes of my podcast with your colleagues and employees. The easiest way to do this is simply to share with them a link to our podcast page at tamperdesir.com slash LBC, where they can listen to every episode right there on the page or find links to subscribe to our show on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. And a reminder that Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tampa Leadership, our leadership consulting firm that offers keynotes and corporate training events on a variety of leadership topics, both in person and through online platforms. So if you want to know how we might bring these kinds of insights to your organization, either in person or online, visit our company's website at Tavynasir.com. And with that, I'm Tavynasir, and you've been listening to
1: Leadership Biz Cafe.